0: Everyone, God bless you. Whew, I was having a little bit of a hard time singing with my mask on. I kept, I kept, I kept eating my mask on the inside. <laughs> but uh, I think I'm okay now. Anyway, uh, good morning. Glad that you're here. Glad that you signed up. Um, I wanted to take a minute and, uh, and tell you a few things that have been going on at the church. Uh, as we said earlier, we haven't met together since March the 15th. So there's been nine Sundays, I think it was March the 18th, that Wednesday was the first live stream that we did, that Wednesday. Uh, So we're continuing with all the live streams, uh, tonight at 6, and then Tuesday and Thursday at 12, and Wednesday night at 7, all the Zoom meetings will continue with youth, um, uh, men's ministry, women's ministry. We even had a senior Zoom meeting last night, which was pretty cool. Sisterhood meeting, when is that? Small are starting this week, Thursday and well, oh, small group sisterhood meetings at home. On Zoom. Uh, on Zoom. Oh, okay. Oh, small group. Yeah, right. Okay, we'll get you, get you more information about that, about sisterhood meetings. Anyway, I wanted to, to inform you of some things. Uh, I think we all know that Stan Chris went home to be with the Lord. That was during the first week or so of this whole thing. We didn't know that he was battling uh, COVID-19, but uh, he had about a three-week struggle, but he went home to be with the Lord, praying for Gloria, of course. Uh, Edie Glover's husband, Wayne, also passed away. And we heard this week that Tim Wheaton's father had passed away as well. Um, During this time, our brother Matt Rogers got married to his fiancée, Renee, that was a live stream wedding that Pastor Bill performed. Um, Lily and Alvin Bonilla had their baby boy on Thursday night, I think it was, Levi. Uh, Billy Kitteridge had his triple bypass, uh, I guess, two weeks ago now. I kind of lost track. He's home now. Uh, Doreen uh, is having some trouble with uh, a benign tumor, so she needs prayer for that, but they're doing Okay. Uh, We gave away a pallet of food. Uh, Thank you, Valerie and Mike and Juanita Rivera for taking care of that. We gave away tons of Easter candies that were donated to us, uh, distributed throughout nursing homes and throughout the community. Uh, We had our Palm Sunday. Many of you picked up palm branches from the house that that Saturday before. We had our Good Friday service during this time. We had our Resurrection Sunday. We had Mother's Day. Um, We had a Communion Sunday. And uh, the Winds- uh, Harry and June Winslow relocated to Florida during this time. So <laughs> a lot has been going on. Uh, also, this place has been renovated. So thank the Lord. I want to thank Dan Johnson, uh, my son-in-law that did all the wainscoting, uh, really got all the walls prepared and for painting, um, changed all these light bulbs. Every, every light bulb in the church now is LED. So that means it's brighter and more efficient for us. Uh, and then Pastor Bill and Dan did all the painting in here. It's a great, this was a great project. Have you noticed? <clears throat> did you notice the frames around the, the screen here? Uh, that, those frames weren't there before. It was just the wall. Uh, so Dan went up there and, and got those together. It just makes the, uh, the, 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 it makes the, the, uh, presentation pop out more. So, uh, we're excited. We're happy. And, uh, I think it was time well spent. Um, so thank you to those that were involved in doing that. Uh, this weekend is a Memorial Day weekend. Uh, this is a time when we remember those who have died serving our country. Uh, just as a sidelight, it was on this weekend, 40, I want to say 43 years ago, that Pamela and I went to a trip to North Carolina to visit some friends. Where we uh, were led to the Lord over this Memorial Day weekend, so thank the Lord for that. But I want to take a minute uh, to reflect on those that that passed away, uh, fighting for our country. Is there anyone here that had loved ones that that died in battle, or that were that died in battle? Okay. Veterans Day in the fall. Yes. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Uh, Veterans Day is when we honor the living uh, service men and women. Um, so, did you have someone that passed away? Oh, no. Okay, you served? No. Okay, all right. All right, so we want to take a moment. We have a video, and then we're going, to, we're going to play taps, and then we're going to pray for the families that lost loved ones, and we're going to pray for our nation. So, lend an, lend an eye up here.
1: Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these the homeless, tempest tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. Some came to this land on the Mayflower. Some came to discover their lives. Some came to save them. But no matter how they arrived, one thing is certain. The same invitation they received echoes in our hearts today. They invite us into a life that's worth living, no matter what our past. They encourage us to walk the path God's given us, no matter what turns confront us. It's beautiful, really, because we are the tired. We are the poor. We are the huddled masses who yearn to breathe free, and the oxygen we breathe is given to us by God through brave men and women who have died for us. We inhale freedom, we exhale gratitude. And so today we remember, today we honor, today we pause, we pay attention, we acknowledge our indebtedness, and we rejoice in our freedom. This is a day of remembrance. This is Memorial Day. This is America.
0: Dear Father, we pray for these United States of America. We say a prayer of thankfulness for those that have fought for our freedoms and have died in the battle. We pray, Lord, that you would comfort the families of these loved ones and comfort their hearts today. and Not only today, but throughout the rest of their lives. Comfort them. Let them know that the life that was lost was not lost in vain And, Lord, we appreciate our freedoms. We appreciate that we could be here in church today, worshiping you in freedom. Thank you for the wonderful freedoms that we have in this country. And so we pray for the soul of this nation, Lord, to always turn towards you, to always look to you for help and guidance, especially now in these days. We pray, Lord, for our president, our national leaders, our local leaders. We pray for our, our, our uh, national medical team that's trying to figure out what to do with this whole COVID-19. We pray for your blessing, your anointing, your guidance to be upon them all. Well, We pray, Lord, for our nation and the heart and soul of our nation, that we would be a country that recognizes the God whom helped found this nation for such freedoms. So, Lord, let us always honor you. And so we thank you and we praise you for this now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. I want to take a moment to recognize anyone that has served in the military. If you just stand up real quickly. We just want to recognize you. Adrian and Donora. Thank you. Thank you. And God bless you. And glad that you're with us today. Amen. And one of my favorite memories as a child is... Uh, honoring the fallen soldiers uh, with my grandfather it seemed like my grandfather and i always made time to somehow go to the parade and go to the cemetery and it was always a really big deal it's kind of ingrained in my heart but uh, we do appreciate your service so thank you for for serving our nation the way that you have okay uh, pastor bill why don't you come and talk to us about the offering and then we'll get into the word this morning
2: Good morning, church. Hallelujah. Um, you know, listening to that, that bugle, um, we just did a service for her, a gentleman, a, a Marine who had just passed away, Edith Glover's uh, husband. And uh, we were inside a small sanctuary, and they, 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 they did the bugle, and they did it in another room, like facing another way. It was so loud and so powerful. It sh- chills through you. Whenever I hear that, it is, it, it, I think it's, it's the spirit behind it is so powerful. And it brings me to think about how, how much we, we need to honor those who died for us. And what does honor mean? Having great respect, great respect, consider them highly, highly, highly honored. And we gotta think about what the Lord did for us. What Jesus did for us was the same thing He died for us. He gave his life for us. Just like those gentlemen, It's like all the men that we should be thinking of this weekend and keeping in our prayers of all those families who lost loved ones that gave themselves for us, for our freedom. But also we need to realize that Jesus gave himself for our freedom also. Yeah. So as we you know in, um, in Proverbs, it says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with, with, uh, with the first fruits of your crop, uh, stand, uh, if you want to stand now as we um, uh, present the offering. And um, if you're going to bring an offering up, there's six trays, there's six, six rows. It just come straight up and put your offering in one of the plates. There's six plates. Um, and for those online, um, continue just to send in your offerings through the mail or through, um, on, on, through online, through the website. Um, it's been very appreciated. Um, God has been good through this whole time. We thank all of you for that. So let's pray. Lord, I just thank you, Lord Jesus, for today, Lord Jesus. I thank, you for, I thank you for the men who gave their lives for us, Lord. The families who gave up their husbands, the families that gave up their children for us, Lord. Just like you did, Lord. You gave up your son for us. Yes. So that we may be free, Lord Jesus. Let us realize what Memorial Day is really about. Let us recognize that, Lord Jesus. Let us, let us honor that, Lord Jesus, in this time. Let us honor that. And Lord, let it become as the same spirit when you gave yourself for us, Lord, for freedom, Lord Jesus. I thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Well, it's good to see you in church today, folks. For nine weeks, we've been preaching to empty chairs. but thank the Lord for live stream. (laughs) But it's a little different dynamic when there's there's life in the sanctuary. Uh, We're going to be in uh, Acts chapter 11 today. So you may want to turn there in your Bible. And uh, the, Lord, the Lord for this month has put a theme on my heart to preach about. That theme is vision. How do you see things? You know, how do we see things spiritually? Uh, so we're, we're, we're staying on that theme today. Um, the first uh, message that we talked about on the first Sunday of May was uh, the, the topic or the, the name of the sermon was, What Do You See? The second one was through eyes of faith. The third one, which was last week when Stacy shared the word, Psalm 23, uh, slow, sweet, and sacred. And today I want to I name this sermon, Seeing Grace. How do you see grace? Uh, so we're in Acts uh, 11, and we're going to start at verse 19. And we're just going to talk our way through it before we get into the actual message part. Let me say a quick prayer if we can. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, your word is life to us. We pray now for your Holy Spirit to teach us what we need to know, Lord. And uh, Lord, anoint me with your presence to bring forth the word of God for today. For those that are here, for those that are on live stream, and for those that will be viewing sometime later in the week or sometime in the future, may your blessing be upon this word to give you glory and to give meat to the church. So we thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Seeing grace. Seeing grace. Acts 11 verse 19. It begins like this. Those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. You may remember Uh, in Acts chapter 7, the story of Stephen. uh, Actually, in Acts chapter 6, Stephen was one of the seven men that were chosen to wait on tables, to serve the tables. And uh, the requirement for those men to wait on the tables was that they would have a good reputation, they'd be filled with the Holy Spirit, and they'd be filled with wisdom. It says later in that passage in Acts 6, that Stephen, one of the seven Uh, went about doing great works, great signs and wonders were done by the Lord uh, through the hands of Stephen. But in Acts chapter 7, we read that Stephen was stoned to death. He was killed. He was martyred, the first martyr of the church. So after that happened, and Paul was there consenting to his death before he was saved, but um, in Acts chapter 8, we read that the church was scattered. They went everywhere uh, preaching the word. And uh, Acts chapter 9, Paul gets saved. Acts chapter 10, the Gentiles begin to get saved. Acts chapter 11, the first part, uh, Peter is defending his ministry to the Gentiles, to the leaders in Jerusalem. But anyway, it picks up in 11.19 that after the persecution and the church was scattered, people went all over the place. They went as far as Phoenicia, which was about 125 miles away from Jerusalem. That's pretty far in those days. Cyprus was an island in the Mediterranean. That's about 250 miles. And Antioch was about 300 miles away from Jerusalem. So they were scattered and they went about preaching, but they were only preaching to the Jewish people, which was typical at the time. They didn't, they didn't really get the, the feeling or the sense that this gospel was, was now open for everyone, even though Acts 10 happened, it was kind of slow trickling down, so they were preaching to the Jewish people only. Verse 20, verse 20 But some of them who went to Antioch were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who when they had come to Antioch, they spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. So right here, we have a new situation. We have Christians who are being persecuted in Cyrene, which is northern Africa, and Cyprus, which is an island in the Mediterranean. They're fleeing, going up to Antioch, but they're Greek-speaking people who believed in Christ. So they get to Antioch and they see what's going on and they're realizing well there's a church here but they're only speaking to the Jewish people that speak that language but they're not speaking to the Greek speaking uh, the Greek speaking Jews who were there as well. So they took it upon themselves to preach in their language to these they're called Hellenist Greek speaking Jews. And verse number 21 when they did the hand of the lord was upon them and a great number believed and turned to the lord so you have a great situation out of persecution and and you you would think fear you have people rising up and preaching and now now preaching to a different language group and the god the lord used that the hand of the lord was upon them and a great number believed and turned to the lord this is good a good story so in verse number 22 The news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. You may remember in Acts 8, when all this persecution happened, the believers were scattered everywhere. But it says very distinctly, but the apostles stayed back in Jerusalem. So the headquarters, if you will, was still in Jerusalem. But now 300 miles away, there's revival going on. And somehow it trickles down to Jerusalem. The elders heard about it, and they were curious as to what was going on there. I don't know. It doesn't exactly say what they were thinking, but we could ascertain. They were probably wondering about the doctrine. Was the doctrine the right doctrine? Was uh, How how were they handling the Judaizers? We had some problems with the Judaizers. They were Jewish people that were coming to Christ, but they were telling the new believers... You have to do the Jewish customs and the Jewish traditions in order to serve Jesus, which was wrong. So, or or were they wondering, what about the Gentiles? Were the Gentiles included in this? This was a new phenomenon in the church. Was there any demonic activity going on? Were there any problems going on? So, they were exercising their spiritual authority by sending one of their own people up to Antioch to check it out. So, they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. Verse 23, we'll be kind of looking at 23 and 24. But when he came there and he saw the grace of God, that's, that's where this message comes from. He got there and he saw the grace of God. His reaction was he was glad, he encouraged them, uh, that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. In verse 24, because he was a good man, he was full of the Holy Spirit, full of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. Then Barnabas left Antioch and went to Tarsus to look for Saul, who now Saul was Paul, who had given his heart to the Lord in chapter 9. But Barnabas is going to look for Paul. Now, 26, when he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. So it was for a whole year that they assembled with the church, and they taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. So to me, this is a great biblical story of what's going on in the early church. But if we want to think about seeing grace, a couple of things, just a a casual observation in this story. First of all, we've got to start thinking outside of the box. Here's Barnabas coming up there, and he's hearing non-apostles preaching and teaching the word of God. That must have blown his mind a little bit right there. They weren't trained. They didn't go to any school or anything. They, they were persecuted. They were running away. And now they're over there preaching. But he was thinking outside of the box. He's hearing them preach in a different language to this other people group. And he's saying, yeah, this is a good thing. He was thinking outside of the box. And he didn't have any preconceived ideas as to who was supposed to be hearing the word of God. Someone could have said, why are these Hellenists involved? They're not one of us. Or why are these Gentiles involved? They're not one of us. But I think Barnabas knew the heart of God, and we know it too when we read the epistles. That it says in 1 John, uh, one Timothy 2, that God our Savior desires that all would be saved. That's the heart of God. So, see, when we have the heart of God, we see things a little differently. He desires all people to get saved. 2 Peter 3, nine says, The Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. All. So when I think about that, I think about application for here in Haverhill. There are so many people that need to hear the word of God in their own language, in their own style, in their own cultural setting. We have a mandate to go and proclaim the word of God, regardless of where people come from or or how they may look or what their race or culture is. We're mandated by the Lord to go and share this word of God. So in this story, I could see the grace of God at work in in the sense that God is using persecuted Christians to proclaim the word of God. That's got to be the grace of God moving Someone could say, well, someone legalistic might say, well, you know what? Those people should have never left their homeland or their home area. They should have stood up and taken the persecution. Well, I don't think so. They ran for their lives, and God had a a bigger purpose for them to to go out into all the world and, and, and share this gospel. So I see the grace of God in that, and now I see the grace of God falling upon New Testament churches today, like our church, that God is calling each one of us to be ministers of the gospel. Now, I know in our church we have, we have our you know, the pastor, the associate pastor, the youth pastor, and this and that, and we have the church administrator and Pamela. But you know what? We have a church of 200 or so believers that are commissioned to preach the gospel. Everyone is a minister. That was normal for the church back then. It should be normal for the church today as well. So in, in, in seeing grace, we have to really hone in on this idea that there are no limits with God. And there's no, there should be no prejudices within the church. Let me say it again. There's no limits with God. And there should be no prejudices within the church. You see, because Barnabas could have gone up there. He could have said, no, no, none of that stuff, those Hellenists. We'll have a separate thing for them, you know, or the Gentiles. No, 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 this is a Jewish thing. He was wide open. He didn't limit what God was going to do. He didn't limit what the church was going to do. So we can't be a vessel of God's love and God's mercy if we're holding prejudice in our heart towards other people. And it could could be in many different ways. I mean, the most obvious thing is in race racial problems our country is still loaded with racial tension it is and the church must rise up and do something about that but it's not only race it's culture it's it's language groups it's socio-economic levels it's it's where people where they fit in society. We may feel like, you know, what I don't want to, I don't want to reach downtown. I want to reach uptown or whatever. But, but I'm seeing here that that we can't, if we want to see the grace of God, we can't be picky and choosy as to how that's going to look. Sometimes it looks a little bit messy, actually, because it's not perfect. But it is a move of God. Verse 22. When when Barnabas came down. Or he came up, rather, to Antioch, because he had to travel north to get to Antioch. He didn't come to condemn the work. He didn't come with an agenda to shut the work down, or to put these strong limitations over it. He came to affirm, to bless, to help, to make sure they were on the right track. In verses 22 and 23, when he, when he came and saw the grace of God, he observed it. He, he took it in. He analyzed it. He discerned, discerned what was happening. And he was glad. He encouraged the church to continue. He sanctioned the work, and he blessed the work. So my question is, focusing on verse number 24, how do we begin to think like Barnabas? I mean, he's, he's like an open book. He's like, whatever you want, Lord, I want to go and, you know, how do we think like that? How do we see like that? How do we minister like that? How do we respond like Barnabas did? Verse 24 gives us some great insights into how we will ever see the grace of God at work. Some ways, in some ways, we won't see the grace of God if we're not doing certain things in our lives. But but look at verse 24. It says he was a good man. Well, I would hope that he would be a good man, but what's a good man? You know, everyone says they're good, but... What is a good man? And what what does someone have to do to get good? My definition of a good man is one who knows that he isn't one without Jesus. That's a good place to start. A good man is someone that understands they're a bad man without Christ in their lives. Let me give you some descriptive words. And when I say man, I I include women. But for the sake of this, a good man or a good woman is a humble person. A repentant person, a conscientious person, a considerate person, an observing person, a knowledgeable person, a discerning person. Barnabas, in the biblical sense, was a good man because he came to a place in his life where he made Jesus Christ his Lord and his Savior. 1 Peter 2.21, Peter says that Jesus has given us an example that we should follow in his steps And I believe that Barnabas was following in the steps of Jesus. So if we want to be a good person in this sense, we need to follow the steps of Jesus. A good person is is not quick to judge or not quick to condemn, as we see in Barnabas' story. He's not loud. He's not opinionated. He's not quick to tell other people what they should do or or what they're doing is wrong when he's got his own log in his own eye a good person is someone solid and forgiven and filled with God's grace and because he's filled with God's grace and knows he's a sinner saved by grace he's able to see grace at work so he was a good man we need to be good people if we want to see the grace of God at work we'll never see it well let me let me continue the second trait of Barnabas was that he was full of the holy spirit well we can't just brush by that really quickly he was saved John 3.3 3 says you must be born again by the Holy Spirit he was saved the Holy Spirit's in any person's life who's saved the Holy Spirit is at work there but he was also filled with the Holy Spirit whenever you see that phrase that's referring to another work of God after or subsequent to salvation salvation is a work of the Holy Spirit no doubt But Jesus said, go into all the world and preach, but don't go yet until you're filled with the Holy Spirit or you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. So they were filled. He was filled with the Holy Spirit as a second work of grace upon his life. Now, next Sunday is Pentecost Sunday. I hope to uh, preach uh, the whole message about the Holy Spirit next Sunday. So here we see Barnabas is a good man and he's filled with the Holy Spirit. I always thought about that. Like, why, why, are, why is that in there? You know, why is that a qualification? I see the same thing in Acts 6, when uh, the apostles were saying, we don't want to wait on the tables. You know, pick seven people. You guys take care of that problem. We want to pray and study the word. And, and the re- requirements for those people waiting on the tables was that they would be filled with the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom and have a good reputation. I was thought, why is that so important? And I realized in both of these situations, and in all situations, we go back to Acts 1.8, when the promise of the Holy Spirit is given, we'll have we'll received power to be a witness. But, but it all has to do with working with people. Acts 6 is working with contentious ladies that were upset they weren't getting their food or whatever. And you have to be filled with the Holy Spirit to deal with that issue. Come on. And now in Acts 11... Uh, Barnabas is filled with the Holy Spirit. He's going up, he doesn't know what he's going to get into up in Antioch. So they had to make sure whoever was going up there had to be filled with the Holy Spirit, be empowered by God, to be a good witness for the Lord, and not to get ruffled by people and situations. And that's a big difference in a type of ministry, isn't it? Because when you're filled with the Holy Spirit in this context... You're empowered by God to deal with people in situations that you normally couldn't deal with in the same way. So he's filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, someone, someone may ask, and I, I want to get into this next week more, but how, how do I get filled with the Holy Spirit? You know, two, two things. And next week, Lord willing, we'll get into it more. But two things. One thing is, all, do all that you can do to get out of the flesh. That's number one. In other words, take care of your life, your spiritual life. Don't 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 delve into sin. Don't accept sin, and all, get out of the flesh. And number two, get into the spirit. Worship and read the words, memorize the word. It says in uh, Luke eleven thirteen, if your earthly father knows how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give you the Holy Spirit when you ask for it? So we need to pray for it and ask God fill us with Your Spirit. So anyway, Barnabas is a good man. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. And the third quality in verse number 24 is that he's full of faith. He's full of faith. He's built up in the faith. You know what I mean by that, by being built up in the faith? Let me put it this way. Do you you realize when you're not built up in the faith, you know how you are when you're not built up in the faith? Like things bother you. And you're worried and you're anxious and have all these things going in your head but when you're built up in your faith you could conquer a mountain you could, you could you could leap the tallest building you know you're on fire for god but he was built up in the faith and these three scriptures on the screen are really important i think romans twelve three, we have a measure of faith god has given everybody a measure of faith when we were created by god He put a capacity in there for us to have faith. There's a measure of faith that we have. Romans 10, 17 says that faith is activated by the word of God. So when we hear the word of God, I mean, this happened probably before we were ever saved. But when we first heard the word of God, something happened. That that spot for faith came alive. And that spot for faith continues to thrive when we hear the Word of God year after year after year after year until Jesus comes. That's why we have to keep hearing the Word of God. And then Romans 1.17 says that the just shall live by faith. So we have a capacity for faith. The faith is activated by the Word, and now we live by faith. We live by faith. And so if we want to see the grace of God at work... We've got to be filled with faith. We can't be half in and half out. We can't be, you know, uh, I I believe today. I don't believe tomorrow. I don't know. I'm up and down. Uh, We have to be committed and sold out. This is the way. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Right? We We have to be totally sold out that this is the way. So Barnabas was a good man. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he was full of faith. What a great choice to send up to Antioch. When they didn't know what in the world he was going to find out when he got there. Right? Good choice. Good choice. He was what I would call a clean vessel. He was a clean vessel. He wasn't taking any baggage up there with him. He wasn't prejudging anybody. He just wanted to go see what was going on. And if it was all good, he was going to give it his blessing, which is exactly what he did. But the next question I have is, what did he see? What did he see? He doesn't say what he saw, other than he saw the grace of God. It's like, how do you see faith? How do you see grace? You know, how do you see something that's intangible? You know, he saw it spiritually. He discerned it spiritually. But verse 23, he saw the grace of God. I believe he saw these persecuted Christians. Who who knows what they were like? They they may have traveled a long way. They may have been... Hungry, they may, may have been beat up or whatever. They're preaching the word of God. He saw good preaching. He saw people proclaiming the things of God. And it came out. He, and he, it, he discerned, this is yes and amen. He saw lost souls hearing the word and responding to the word and surrendering their lives. He saw lives changed. He saw God at work. He saw the church at work. He saw the gospel in action. And it bore witness in his soul and in his spirit. And look at his response. He was glad. What a great word. He was glad. As opposed to, well, I think that guy's a little bit off. I think that's a little, that should be done this way. You should change that over there. He, his response was, wow, I'm glad. God's at work, and these people are letting God work through them. And he encouraged them to continue. He wasn't putting anybody down. He was just saying, you know what, this is a yes and an amen. And his reaction is just wonderful. But again, his reaction is based upon verse 24. He was a good man, filled with the Spirit of God, filled with faith. He was prime. He was the prime candidate to see what was going on in Antioch. Antioch. And he got up there... And uh, he said, he said, okay, I'm seeing the grace of God at work, and my spirit is rejoicing. Hallelujah. We need to rejoice, church. Listen, when something good is happening, we have we have to be able to discern that is good. But when something good is happening, lives are being changed. Hallelujah. Can we rejoice a little bit? Angels rejoice, right? But but anyway, he was glad. He encouraged them, and and I like how it's worded in my New King James. He encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. Man, he was he was blessing them. You know, he was so impressed with the work. I love this. That he okay, verse twenty four, a lot of people getting saved. Verse twenty five, he leaves to go to Tarsus. I'm not sure how far Tarsus was from Antioch, but it had to be pretty far. But he knew Paul was from there, so he was going to get Paul and bring him back to Antioch. He was so impressed, he devoted one year of his life to teach there in that place. So, yeah, he was seeing the grace of God. And he wanted to get involved in the grace of God that was going on in that place. All right, so let me, let me give you three, I call these three take-home points. I always like to have something to kind of hang your hat on, you know what I mean? Three things to remember, if you want to see the grace of God. I want to see the grace of God. I do. I, I always, you know, 1 Corinthians uh, thirteen talks about the love chapter, how love, um, love believes all things, trusts all things. You know, I want to. I want to be positive. I want to give the benefit of the doubt to the church and to God. I do. But here here are three things that we we should think about. If you and I want to see the grace of God, we've got to do our own homework. We've got to do our own homework. Verse 24, make sure we're... You you ever hear the phrase, like, hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. Make sure you're good with God. And only you know. (laughs) Because you can fool me, you can fool anybody... Make sure you're good with God. You know, what does that mean? Well, keep short accounts. Be repentant often. Be clean. Be clear. Make sure you're filled with the Holy Spirit. But if you're not filled, and and we believe in the evidence of that is uh, speaking in tongues. But if you're seeking to be filled, God will honor that. Believe me when I tell you. God will honor your desire to be filled. He'll honor your desire to get closer to him. And he'll guide you by his Holy Spirit. And make sure you're filled with faith. Faith is the opposite of doubt, isn't it? And there's a lot of doubt going on in the world today. There's a lot of doubt about this coronavirus. I would say, you know, all these conspiracy theories, I just don't know. I don't want to know about about all that. All I want to know is more about Jesus. You know, I want to know. I want to know what God wants me to do right now. I want to make sure I'm I'm good with the Lord. That whatever happens, it's going to be okay. Romans eight twenty eight. It's going to be good. I want to make sure my homework is done. I'm in good standing with God. I'm in good standing with people. That's very important. So we could never really see the grace of God if we've got a problem with God or we have a problem with other people. Because then we'll be looking at life and looking at the situation through our own lens instead of the lens of faith philippians 2 12 says paul says to the church there in philippi work out your own salvation with fear and trembling man that's serious we just blow by that scripture fear and trembling what do you mean in other words your salvation is so crucial to your life you've got to take it so seriously that you fear God and you tremble before. You want to make sure you get your life together. That's so important to do. And some of might say, yeah, well, I'm trusting God to do it. Well, you, we need to trust God to do what we can't do. But so many times in Scripture, the Lord is telling us, you take, you crucify the flesh. You make sure you do that. You do the right thing. You, 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 you do it. And when we get to the end of that rope and we can't do anymore, guess what? God does it. But God won't do it until we do all that we're supposed to do. So work it out with fear and trembling. This is important stuff. So when we're in that mindset of, you know, seriously, you know, pursuing God and trusting God, we're not so quick to criticize everybody else. And we start to think about, what is my disposition? Maybe, maybe I need to take a, a, a check in my own heart. Maybe the way I'm looking at this is incorrect, Maybe my words are ungodly and not right. Maybe, maybe my face is not presenting the God that I serve. See, I, I've got to do my homework. We've got to do our homework if we want to see the hand of God at work. We have to make sure our heart is right with God and our heart is right with people. We'll never see the grace of God if we have this filter of hurt feelings and anger and bitterness towards people or towards God. Jesus said, out of the abundance of your heart, the mouth speaks. What's coming out of our mouth if we're critical and angry and bitter and all this other stuff? So Romans 12, 2, we we look at Romans 12, 1 and 2 a lot. But we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. And we we renew our mind, constantly renewing our mind by the Spirit of God. So so in order to see the grace of God, it begins with us. Many of us will say, oh, I, I don't see God at work. I think I told you this story one time, many, many years ago. I was living in New York, and I was active in a church in Greenwich, Connecticut. And I, I went to a, I had to go to the printer. In those days, there were a lot of print shops, and we had to get something printed for the church. And the guy that owned the print shop was a Christian. And uh, he said to me, he said, oh, I, yeah, you're at that church. I said, yeah. He goes, well, we're praying for a revival. I was a relatively newer Christian at the time. And I said, I I was under the impression we were having revival. I really was, and we were. To me, it was great. To him, it was like, not yet. But it's all like how you're looking at it, you know? I'm looking at it, I'm even looking at what's happening now in in our community. I'm seeing God at work. I'm seeing the grace. Are you seeing the grace of God? I mean, think think of what's going on. Think of Salvation Army. Think of New Brothers Fellowship. Think of Leaving the Streets Ministry. Think of Somebody Cares New England. Think about Common Ground Ministry. Think about Brother Wayne down there preaching every Sunday down in downtown Haverhill. These are all moves of God. But see, we'll never appreciate that if we're not right with God ourselves. When we're right with God, guess what? We begin to rejoice that God is doing something downtown Haverhill. And I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for the churches. Many churches are opening up today, you know, like we are. Some are waiting. And that's okay, too. But, but I'm, I, we have to be able to see this is the grace of God at work. I'm seeing people, you know, through the live stream. Forgive me for this mask. I don't know. I changed masks in between services, and I, I think I like the other one better. But anyway, um, yeah, even through live stream, you know, people are hearing the word all over the country. That's the grace of God at work. Do you see it? Can you see it? Or or are we so wrapped up in our little world and our little problems? Like those dreadful trips to market basket, you know, or whatever. Or whatever's going on, wearing the mask, going to the bank or whatever, you know, f- feeling funny with it or just being home all the time and feeling the anxiety of life being so disruptive from the way it used to be. But anyway, we've got to do our own homework to see the grace of God at work. Number two is this. We've got to look for the good. We've got to look for the good. The Bible I read tells me that the God we serve is a good God. 1 Chronicles 16 35, I think it is, 34 Give thanks to the Lord, for He is... He's good. And His mercy endures forever. James tells us that God does good things. Every good gift comes from our Father in heaven. He's a good God. He does good things. So we have to see the good that's going on. And not be so critical about everything. When we see the good that's going on through our good God... The, our critical spirit, our negative attitude, gets less and less and less. I remember a few weeks ago I was preaching on, "What do you see?" and it was a story of uh, when Jesus fed the five thousand. And just in that story, there's there's two apostles, Philip and Andrew, and Jesus says to Philip, "Hey Philip, what do you see here? How are we going to feed all these people?" Philip says, man, paraphrase, there's no way we're going to feed these people. If I had all this money, we couldn't feed these people. And it says this was a test for Philip. Everything's a test. And then he sees Andrew. And Andrew has this little encounter with the little boy. I got five loaves and two fish. Andrew brings it to the Lord. I don't know what this is going to mean for all these people, but at least we got five loaves and two fish. The next thing that happens is Jesus says, okay, tell everybody to sit down. I'm ready to go to work. I think Jesus was just looking for an opportunity. How do you look at things? Is it half full or half empty? You know, you have five loaves and two. You're never going to feed 5,000 people with that. But with God, all things are possible. So it depends on how you look at things. But we have to start looking at the good that Jesus is doing, or Jesus wants to do. So here we see Barnabas coming up to Antioch. And and instead of saying, what are these persecuted people doing preaching the word? He rejoiced and was glad when he saw those persecuted Christians preaching the word. He saw Jews and Gentiles responding, repenting before God. He heard a different language group preaching the word and hearing, receiving the word of God. And he looked for the good and he found the good. How many of you know the movie Pollyanna? Come on. The old one, the old Pollyanna. Haley Mills and all that. In that movie, she gives all these glad scriptures to the preacher. Because the preacher always preached fire and brimstone. And she was trying to tell him, you're not reaching the people by preaching fire and brimstone like that. She made a list of all the glad verses. And she showed him one day. And one of, the, one of the glad verses she told him was, if you look for the good, you're going to find it. I never knew that was a proverb until you know, I got into it. But yeah, if you look for the good, you're going to find it. That's Proverbs 11.27. If you look for the good, you're going to find good. If you look for the bad, guess what? You're going to find bad. But we have to look for the good. We have to look for the good. Philippians 1.6 says, He who began a good work is faithful to complete it, right? Can we focus on the word began? It's a beginning. It's a beginning. This work in Antioch was a beginning. Was it perfect? Probably not. But that wasn't the point. The point was it was a beginning. And Barnabas was able to say, yes, go for it. Philippians uh, 4.8, wherever things are true and noble and pure, uh, whatever things are virtuous praiseworthy meditate contemplate rest think about these things not (laughs) not how bad things are or how people need to change or how someone hurt you or didn't do things right or whatever think about good things and and see the hand of god at work through that well again we can only do that if we're good with god if we're filled with the Holy Spirit, if we're full of faith. Otherwise, we get our feelings hurt, we get proud or whatever, and we, we, we miss the whole point. So in order to see the, the grace of God at work, uh, do our own homework, look for the good. Number three is this. We need to get involved in the work of God. Seeing grace is a motivator to get involved in the work of God. How could we see it and not want to be a part of it? That's what Barnabas did. He saw it. Then he went and got Paul and stayed there for a whole year teaching everybody. The grace motivated him to get involved in the work of grace. I love that whole aspect that he he saw the grace... He, uh, he, he, A lot of people came to the Lord through while he was there. He leaves to get Paul, and together these two pillars of the faith now teach these new converts the things of God. I love how grace produces more grace. And then I think about Barnabas' Barnabas's legacy, which is a pretty good legacy to leave behind. In Acts 9, we see that Paul gave his heart to the Lord, And, of course, nobody believed him because he used to persecute the church. Who do you think it was that brought him to the elders in Jerusalem to vouch for him? Barnabas. You know, he was involved in the work. We see in uh, Acts 11, the same chapter where we are, in verse number 20. After he's there for a year, he collects an offering. He and Paul, they bring the offering down to the people in Judea. He was involved in the work of ministry. We see Barnabas come alongside of John Mark when John Mark had his failure, his falling out with Paul he took along took John Mark alongside and mentored him and helped him. We see Barnabas uh, on paul with Paul on his many missions trips, starting new churches, ministering to the people there. We see him before the Jerusalem Council uh, 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 Enhancing, supporting Paul in his defense of reaching the Gentiles with the gospel. Barnabas is involved in these intricate, intricate uh, and important moments of the church. And I want to just take a minute here that to say this, that seeing grace encourages more grace. You know, by the way, there was a lady here this morning. And uh, she hadn't been here in years, long time, years and years and years. And uh, she, she gave my wife and I a word. And she said, when she heard me preach about grace, she, I'll just paraphrase the whole conversation. She knew that God's hand was on the church. Because many churches are not known for grace. They're known for legalism. But when we're, when we're speaking about grace and the grace of God, we're putting ourselves in a position to be vulnerable, number one, But we're also putting ourselves in a position to be God's vessel to bring his love to people that think that they don't deserve it or couldn't couldn't get it. So we are see, seeing grace encourages more grace. You know, when I when I think about grace, you know God's unmerited favor, you know, on working on somebody or working in a situation, it helps me in my own life. Because I haven't arrived. None of us have arrived. I think that, well, the grace of God that saved me is now keeping me. And the same grace of God is working in somebody else's life, just like it worked in my life. We're all in grace. Let let me tell you these scriptures. I think tonight at at our prayer meeting, which is live stream only, I'm going to share these scriptures. But the scriptures say things like this. We are all under grace. It says to stand in grace. It says, be strong in grace. It says to grow in grace. Speak with grace. Serve God by grace. And certainly we're saved by grace. So we better start seeing grace at work. It's the very heart of God. You see that? So, in summary, we're going to close with uh, 2 Peter 3.18. But in summary... uh, God God is at work. What are we seeing in this whole coronavirus situation anyway? Oh, we're seeing a lot of disgruntled people that have to stay home. We see a lot of people that are out of work. They need money. They need resources. But how about we see God pushing a reset button? Someone told me recently, they they hope that sports never come, come back. There's no NBA, there's no sports. But we don't need sports. Is God saying, you put sports ahead of me? This is our reset button. There's no entertainment, there's no concerts and all that stuff. And now all the kids are home, the schools are closed is god saying you know what schools are way off track they're teaching so much ungodly stuff i'm gonna just shut down the whole shooting match there's a reset button what do you, do you see that do you see the grace of god well my kids are home when they're driving me crazy well okay granted they might drive you crazy but it's an opportunity to get families back together again like we haven't had in <laughs> decades what do you see you see what do you see How do you see what's going on here? But what we have to be, back to verse 24, we've got to make sure we're good with God. We have to make sure we're filled with the Holy Spirit. We have to make sure we're filled with faith and not filled with anxiety. And when we have all that going for us, we could see the grace of God at work. And we could, guess what? We could be glad. (laughs) We don't have to start correcting everybody. We could just be glad and rejoice. You know, we could give encouragement to people. We could bless people for what they're doing for the Lord. So, amen. So, if you want to see the grace of God, number one, do your own homework. Number two, look for the good. And number three, get involved in the work of God. And by the way, the church was so busy during these last nine weeks... The church is definitely not the building the church is obviously the people of god and the every church i know every fellowship i know has been very busy during this time maybe that's what god's trying to show us can you see the grace of god by shutting down churches i can other things have risen up a whole different emphasis right now you know a whole different thing going on because the doors were closed do you see the grace of god at work So 2 Peter 3 says this, and our our theme for our church is people grow at NLC, right? But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grow in the grace. That doesn't expire. That continues until we meet the Lord face to face. Because grace saved us, but grace will keep us. And grace will propel us into eternal life with the Lord. So grow in that grace. Live in that grace. See the grace of God at work. Amen. Amen. All right, let's stand together. We're going to pray. Hallelujah. Well, I'm glad you're all here. Live audience, live congregation. All I can see is your eyes. And all you can see is my eyes. (laughs) But it's good to see your eyes. Let's, uh, let's bow in prayer. Hallelujah. Uh, before I pray, every head bowed. Is there anyone that just wants to say, uh, Pastor Rick, I, just, I, need spe- I need a special touch from God right now. Anyone just, just do that? Okay. Just, okay. Uh, is there a unique situation you need God to intervene in your, in your circumstances now? Is there anything going on? Yeah? Okay. Does anyone need to renew your faith covenant with the Lord before we go any further? Maybe, maybe this whole season has been difficult and you've, you've lost faith. And now's the day to get your faith back, get back on track. Is there anyone like that? Just raise your hand. Let me see real quick. Okay. Dear Father, Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you that church is open. Thank you that you're open and you're never closed. Thank you, Lord, that your word has gone forward today. The praises have been lifted up. The prayers have gone out. But, Lord, we pray right now for one another. We pray, Lord, for any, any personal situation any of us may have that's a, a difficult time right now for us. Maybe we're in a crisis. Maybe there's a financial burden. Maybe there's a, a situation at home. Maybe there's something at the workplace. Maybe this whole coronavirus has just put a stress upon us, and we feel out of kilter. We feel off kilter. We just pray, Lord, that you would put us back on track today that you would get us back in good standing with you and with one another, and that we would now begin our walk uh, in, in a steadfast way, putting you first and foremost in every aspect of our lives. Lord, for those that have unique situations right now, whether it's a health need, work need, a relationship need, whatever it is, Lord, meet that need in the name of Jesus. If anyone is sick, oh God, we pray for healing. We pray for deliverances. If anyone is grieving the loss of a loved one, we pray for your comforter to come and minister to that family or that person. We pray, Lord, for anyone that's just out of, out, of, out of sync with life because we've been so disruptive these days. We pray, Lord, that we'll put you first and keep you first and foremost in our heart, especially during this time. So thank you, Lord. I pray your blessing over the church and your blessing over the rest of our day. Uh, Lord, be exalted in all things. We pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And everybody said, Amen Amen and Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, God bless you. Uh, I'd love to hug you, but I'll I'll give you a... a, a, Yeah, that's right. (laughs) And uh, we're instructed to leave peacefully out the front and get in your cars and have a good day. God bless you.